You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Yeah, that's like toe tap and you're ready to go and I'm going to wrap the entire service. Are we ready? I'm not, so we're not going to do that. Happy Thanksgiving or Merry Christmas. Where are we at with this? It's Sunday. Lights are up, like Megan said, so I will say Merry Thanksgiving Christmas, and we're going to enjoy it all, because there's lots of great stuff to enjoy. Uh, my name's Andy. Welcome if you're watching at home online. been chatting with some of you. How cool to see a couple baptisms today. God is so good, and he is moving all over this place, and we love it. I'm the Connections Pastor here, and when Matt told me I get to speak about affluence, I said, me? <laughs> because I'm the guy that was in Alaska, that I did, I did TV up in Alaska, Fairbanks, Alaska, and I'd drive home at midnight after doing the news, and I'd either go to one or two very expensive, nice restaurants, either McDonald's or Taco Bell, and I would go through the drive-thru, and they knew me, because I went all the time, and one time I scored a great deal, I'm all about deals, I'm very simple, uh, my wife will say I'm frugal, and, and she's right, and so I went through the drive-thru, and they said, we have 10 parfaits left. Do you want them? And I said, no, I just ordered three. I don't need all 10. <laughs> and they said, no, we're giving them all to you because they expire tomorrow. And I said, well, it would be just irresponsible of me as a human being to let parfaits go to waste. Do I have to eat them by tomorrow? And they said, oh, that's up to you. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll do my thing for humanity and I'll take them. And I think I ate about eight and they were amazing as you would expect. And so what does this mean to be affluent? If you're just joining us for the first time, we've been walking through a book called Satisfied by Jeff Mannion. It's an awesome book. Has anybody been reading it with us? Some of us have been reading it here in the church, and it's been so good to walk alongside these messages. And so what do we do with this thing called affluence? So I started Google searching. That's what you do when you don't know something. You go to Google, and I put together a very cool list. It's what I call the affluent Christmas list. So for that affluent buyer on your list, that person you gotta get a gift for, they might like something like this. And you're gonna participate with me, everyone in the balcony as well. I want you to shout out what you think the price of these items are, all right? And if you can get it right and then purchase it yourself, you can have it. But if you can't buy it, then you're not gonna get it. And if you do decide to buy it, we're going to recommend Financial Peace University for you, which is starting in January. It is an awesome course. All kidding aside, it's a great course. My wife and I went through it about five years ago, and we wish we would have gone through it when we were 23, 24, right out of college, uh, ready to go, because it helps you so much prioritize your finances and, and what, what you're doing in life. And so it's such a good thing. Coming in January, you can sign up now. But let's go to that first item. It's a good one. It's a mug, right? But not just a mug. I'm gonna read exactly what they say from the website because you gotta get the whole picture of what this entails before you guess your price, all right? The Ember Mug, a 14-ounce smart mug that allows you to set an exact drinking temperature so your coffee is never too hot or too cold. And some of you are saying, all right, we can get this. It can't be too expensive. This is great. The Ember Mug then maintains your chosen temperature for up to 80 minutes so your hot beverage stays perfect. How much? 150, $129.99, and you can get this smart mug, which you have to recharge. So what if you didn't charge it? 
I paid all that money and I didn't charge my mug. I can't have my perfect temperature of coffee. All right, the next one, and this one baffles me. You can't see down here is, is the lock, but this is a bike chain and a lock. The free form lock has 27 different inlaid polka dot stones. This lock may or may not have been deeply inspired by a children's book about a certain leopard. Does anyone know what that is? My kids didn't. <laughs> not a very popular children's book. And maybe that's why this is not getting bought very much. The lock measures 2.4 centimeters by 1.7 centimeters. 18K white gold. Inlaid stones include turquoise, opal, lapis, lazuli. I thought that was a soup at Olive Garden. Coral, <laughs> onyx, and the unusual purple stone, chariots. You're not going to guess how much this is because it's ridiculous. What do you think? Five figures. 11,000. What? What is going on? We're just moving on. 11,471. Let's get back to, to our world, all right? This is our world in 2020. Toilet paper. I was talking to a friend this week and he said, when I'm 30 years from now, when I'm telling my grandkids about 2020, I'm going to tell them we had to search for two things. PS5s and toilet paper. And that's right. That's our life. And so this is not just toilet paper. You get six rolls of a puzzle game toilet paper roll. The rolls will not fade or flake, and they can be used directly in contact with the skin. Isn't that good news for toilet paper? <laughs> Assured by relevant national testing and certification, they tested it. They are suitable for these places, the dining room, the living room, kitchen, office, or a holiday party. It never mentions you can use it in the bathroom. How much? Six rolls. You get six. Higher, higher. What? $52.31, which in March, we would have paid that for six rolls of toilet paper, right? That would have been a good decision. All right, since we're on this theme, we're going to move along from toilet paper to a smart toilet. A smart toilet. My friend Nate Mishler tried to get me one of these to put on stage, which I then would have had to get clearance from the elders and Pastor Matt and, and Brett that we can put a toilet on stage. But this is a smart toilet. Let's take a look at another image of it. So you can, yep, there's the full feature in the bathroom. Here's what this smart toilet offers. Comfort height feature offers chair height seating that makes sitting down and standing up easier for most adults. Not all. It's not a guarantee. Motion-activated, hands-free, opening, closing of seat and cover. Advanced cleansing functionality with precision air drying and deodorizing filter, all in one. This is one little mechanism. Adjustable heated seat and foot warmer. So you get in the car, heat your seat, and there's foot warmers. Dual flush offers a choice of 0.6 or 1.28 gallons per flush. So how are you feeling today? You want, you want the big flush or you want to be conservative and help the environment? You got your choice. Product details. Seat included. Yes, good news. The seat is included. Wax ring, not included. So you can't even fasten this thing to the floor if you don't buy your own wax ring, which is under a dollar. How much would you pay for a smart toilet? A lot more than 1500 Did someone say 38000 Three times. Double, double. 
$775, and there are three left at Lowe's. So if you want to go after service and go get one, you can. All right. People take toilets seriously. People take their bathrooms seriously. Look up in Alaska. When I was up there for four years covering sports, oh, we didn't have the, the Alaska picture. That's right. They cover, I covered outhouse racing. They would literally take their outhouse or design one, put it on skis. Two men would put a bar across the front and push it to the finish line, and they would have outhouse races. We're weird as Americans, aren't we? What are we doing with our lives? All right, next picture. That's a fridge. That's actually my fridge. You can see my daughter there and my son there when they were little. This is what I always wanted as a kid. Did you? When you went to, I went to my one friend's house, and I remember they had an automatic water and ice dispenser. And I was so excited. And I put my cup up, and I could get shaved ice, or I could get cubed ice. That was affluence to me. When I was growing up, they had it made. They were rich. My heart wanted that. And now I've had two of them that came with two different houses we bought, and we take it for granted. Yeah, it's filtered water. It's okay. I fill it up every morning. Does that make me affluent? I don't know. Next picture. That's my garage. Christmas lights, you can't quite see. My wife did a great job decking it all out, finishing up this weekend. But inside that garage are two cars, an 06 Hyundai Sonata and an 07 Honda Odyssey. Lots of miles, not very affluent, not very great. But you know what? As I thought about it and as I read the book this week, it gets me and my wife to our jobs. It gets us to kids' activities. It got us to my in-law's house for Thanksgiving. And we had two of them. We can go through life, going wherever we want, whenever we want. And I can park them in this building so that yesterday morning, there's frost on the ground as I'm making a quick trip to Walmart. And I've heated up my apple cider in the microwave, a regular microwave, not a smart one. And I'm backing out of my driveway and I'm thinking, oh, I'm so glad I didn't have to scrape the ice off my car. Because I had to do that in Alaska a lot. And I had to do that in Ohio when I didn't have a garage. And so as I'm going through the book and, and thinking through this this week, I'm thinking, God, I have everything I need. I'm, I'm affluent in my possessions. And there's a great quote in this week's chapter from Jeff that says, we can easily grow oblivious to the riches that surround us, unmindful of the wealth in which we're all immersed. Do you have a car? Do you have a garage? Do you have a fridge? He goes into the book, do you have light switches that automatically give you light? Do you have a little dial that makes it either hot or cold in your house? We're living affluent. But today, my question is not to shame you, to shame me, to guilt us into doing more. It's simply to ask a question, what do we do with our luxury? Through the series, Matt's been posing this statement to us about what contentment is, because ultimately we all wanna be satisfied deep down in our core, in our hearts. We want to have ultimate satisfaction. And it comes with God. But so many times I'm looking for something else to satisfy me. His quote, his working definition, as he said, is to be satisfied with what we have, whether we get what we want or not. But today we're gonna to talk about more than possessions. We're gonna talk about experiences. That next vacation, I just can't wait to get there. My next off day, the next time I can get a nap because my kids take a nap at the same time and I'm actually tired and I can lay down. How about the next 
drink? When can I get that? When can I have the next time alone on my phone? When's my favorite team playing again? I want to run to comfort. I want to run to my garage. I want to just find that peace that this world does not offer. C.S. Lewis, uh, an author that wrote The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, also wrote a book called Screwtape Letters. And I read this with a couple guys not too long ago. And one thing that stood out for me uh, is a saying that, that he said. And it's such an interesting book. If you like fiction that could be nonfiction, it's so good because it's written from the perspective of a demon. That's Screwtape. And his nephew, who's an up-and-coming demon, his name is Wormwood. And so the whole book, I don't know how C.S. did it, but he had to get in his head for however long it took to write the book in the mindset of a demon. And how are we going to trip up Christians? And how are we going to trip up those that are looking after God, but they're not going to find him because we're going to cut it off? There's this spiritual battle going on all around us that we don't see. And so he tells his young apprentice that the enemy, it's so weird to see God called the enemy, but over and over he does. And it reminds me that we're in a battle. And so he calls the enemy God. And he says the enemy wants people to focus on two things. The present and eternity. He says we, the demons, we want them to focus on the future. Because when they're focused on the future, it's the next. It's the next. It's the next. The next job. The next promotion. The next relationship. The next. The next. The next. When all we want is right here. The present. That's what God wants. Today, I was dealing with that as, as I was driving in. My son uh, loves to come in early with me. My wife and, and daughter came a little bit later. We got here at 7.45, and, and my son kept saying, he's talking about Fortnite, and he's talking about his other video game, his baseball video game, and, and I, I'm thinking, I gotta prepare for this. I gotta get my mind right. I gotta be with God, all these things. And I'm like, I'm thinking about the future instead of engaging with my son in the present. And so I stopped doing it and I was looking back and I'm like, okay, that's cool. And I was engaging with them, the present. Maybe we learned that this Thanksgiving. It's all about the present. So I thought about a phrase that's gonna help me because I'm just as guilty as anybody for looking ahead. Something we can say in the moment when we're starting to fantasize and daydream about what God can you do next for me? You're not even involving God. What can I do next I'm going to start saying this, and maybe you will as well. Not next, now. Oh, that vacation's three weeks away. We're going to leave for Florida. Oh, not next, now. What can I do right now in the present with the people that are around me? And if no one's around me, God is. Not next, now. The Bible has some awesome stuff to say about how to deal with this, about how to be satisfied, about how to live in the moment. And we're gonna look at a story of Paul and Timothy. And I love this story because it's a father and son story. And whenever we go to a movie, we love those father and son stories. We love reconciliation. We love, I love watching Field of Dreams with my son and the dad's there and, and the son says, you wanna have a catch? And I lose it because we love that. And this is not a blood-related father and son but it's a spiritual father and son. And wouldn't God know it as we're trying to live in the present? This morning I was reading Acts 16. That was just the next chapter for my daily reading. And it was about how Paul met Timothy in Lystra. And he saw potential in him. And he, 
Timothy was already a disciple, already a follower of Jesus, the text says, but then he, he said, let's take him on our journey. And Silas saw it too, and so they took him with them. And so then we have this letter that we've been working through, 1 Timothy, that's a letter from Paul to Timothy about how to deal with Ephesus, how to deal with the church, church at Ephesus. It starts out, chapter one, verses one and two, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, Anytime you see that Christ Jesus, it's, it's seven times in the first two chapters of 1 Timothy. That's saying that Jesus is the king. He's the Messiah. He's the ruler of all. And so Paul goes out of his way to say Christ Jesus, the king, by the command of God, our savior, and of Christ Jesus, there it is again, our hope. And this letter's to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I love that relationship. I love the intimacy. I love how, as we read later in 1 Timothy, Paul said, remember, Timothy, you were commissioned by the elders. You were sent to go do this job. And here, I'm going to help give you advice. Do you have a Paul in your life? Do you have someone you can text or call when you're dealing with something? And you need to know, how do I get through this? If you're in a life group, you do. That's your life group leader. That's a couple you're close to. That's someone that you can reach out to and say, hey, this is what I'm going through. Can you pray for me? And give me some wisdom. If you're a life group leader, we've got our group's leadership team that is waiting and praying for you and ready to jump in. We all are ready as the church to be a Paul to somebody. Maybe you would really like to help somebody out and you just don't have that person in your life. Maybe you're not in a life group. I would love to connect you with, to that person. I would love to make that happen for you. And that brings up another question. Do you have a Timothy? Do you have somebody that you are seen potential in, you're going to invite them along on the path, and you're going to show them what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're saying, oh, I'm not a teacher. I don't know the Bible well enough. I couldn't do that. That's not what we mean. It just means you're a few steps ahead of that person in their journey of faith. And you can say, hey, come on. Let's walk this together. Let's read through Acts together. There's some really cool stories in there. Let's text about it every day. If you're a parent, you have them. <laughs> you have all kinds of Timothys, maybe one, two, maybe eight. They're your kids. And it's so easy to forget that they're the ones we get to shepherd and to guide and to show this beautiful path that Jesus lays out to us. Do you have a Paul? Do you have a Timothy? If not, I would love to talk with you and figure out what that looks like in your life. All right, 1 Timothy 6. We're moving along from last week. We're now into verse 17 through 19. And right away, Paul says to Timothy, remember Ephesus, if you were here last week or even the first week, you saw their elaborate buildings and there were plenty of wealth in Ephesus. And so right here, Paul's gonna address the wealthy. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put, on, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides for us with everything for our enjoyment. I love that Paul doesn't say, oh, they're rich, they're out. Surely there were people that came to know Jesus, they were baptized, they had money, they had means, and, and Paul said, all right, that's great. They can help the kingdom. So command them to do three things. Don't be arrogant up on your hill in your pretty house with your nice mosaics. Don't put your hope in wealth, your 401k, your savings account, Put your hope in God. And I have a feeling that Paul would say the same thing to the church in America. 
Don't be arrogant. Don't put your hope in wealth. Put your hope in God. We see the end of that verse. It says, God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Isn't that good news? That God, the things we have, don't feel bad about them. Don't feel shame that I have resources. God has provided that for our enjoyment. His original plan back in the Garden of Eden was was paradise. That's what Eden means in the Hebrew, paradise. He wanted all the good things for us. And then in the New Testament, James 1.17, we read every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Your economic status might be changing, but God doesn't. You might be caught up in yourself and say, oh, my job, it's going away. My savings are going away, but God doesn't change. So no matter where you are on the financial spectrum, Every good and perfect gift is from above. And if you have a lot, every good and perfect gift is from above. The question is, what purpose do our possessions serve? What purpose are they? My wife has an awesome story that she has really wrestled with to get to this point. We're in Ohio. We were getting ready to move. My kids at that point were seven and eight. And we had all their baby clothes and all their three-year-old clothes and all their four-year-old clothes and tubs. She's so sentimental that each time she looks at an outfit, she remembers something. And so she couldn't let go of it, but we didn't need it anymore and someone else could use it. And so she would pray over each item, make sure it was in good shape. And then thank God for the purpose it served in our lives. And then she would pass it on and pray for the family she was passing it on to. Isn't that a great way to look at our possessions. Maybe that first week you did what we did and went out in the garage and got some stuff. All right, we can declutter, we can get rid of stuff. And so we were doing that with that stuff too. Because God gives us something for a season, we thank him for this good gift, and then how can this possession meet somebody else's need? Next verse, 1 Timothy 6, 18. Command them to do good. He's talking about the wealthy again, the affluent. Maybe Americans, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. When I read that, I think of two of our core actions, serve and give. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. That's serving. How can I serve now? Not next, not once my family, once once my kids go off to college, then I'll serve. Or once the house is all built and finished, then, then I'll serve. Once I have my own house, then I'll invite people over and we'll serve in a life group. Not next, now. How can we look around and see what God is doing now, what opportunities he's putting right in our path now that we can step into and say, okay, God, I'll trust you. I'll try this and see what you do with it because it's all a journey of faith. God brings this opportunity. Do I say yes or no? Do I say later, the future? Do I say now? Giving. I'll give once we've paid the house off. I'll give once, you know, the kids have what they need. I'll give once all of our bills are paid. This says to be generous and to be willing to share. I love that our church uses an app called PushPay because I can program in my phone. I, once I texted give to 317-565-4911, I could program two days after my paycheck comes into my account, my, my 10% is going right back out. 
And we'd give to three other organizations on top of that. And so I can program. I know that's going up. And so right off the bat, I'm giving of what God has given me, that first fruits. It's an Old Testament idea that we give the first 10% to God. In the New Testament, Jesus doesn't eradicate that. He says, give me everything. He talks about a widow who is given just these two little coins that she had. And that was all she had. And Jesus was watching and he said, wow, the faith of that woman. So we give generously. I love that I can do that up front. I've given that part. And then I can have my eyes open for opportunities. And when I hear there's a, an outreach trip that someone's going on, yeah, I want to encourage that. I want them to go. When I hear there's a family need that we can help out, yeah, I want to give to that as well. We're always looking to see. And you know what? When we release that, we have freedom. When I'm holding tight to my finances, which I've done as a frugal guy in Alaska, uh, I'm holding on to that. There's no freedom there. Generosity is so big. And then willing to share. I love this idea of sharing. But as humans, we don't like to share, right? I interviewed a, a high school athlete. Her team had won the conference championship in Ohio, but they'd only want a share of it. And so here they were the next week trying to win the title outright. And so we interviewed them about the big game. And, and she said she's a good Christian girl. She's currently, I think, in ministry, as a matter of fact, some 10 years later. And she said, I don't like to share. I want the outright title. And it was a sports thing and it was funny, but it's true, all right? We don't like to share very much. And so here, Paul is saying, be generous and be willing to share. And then verse 19, it says, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so they may take hold of life that is truly life. How can you take hold of something when your fists are like this? when you're clenching to your resources, when you're clenching to those experiences that you think will give you life, when you're holding on to them, you can't take hold of life that is truly life. We have to open up our hands. Jeff Mannion says, serving and sharing or giving are two disciplines that counterbalance the potentially lethal effects of growing wealth. Is your bank account getting bigger? It could be lethal. We need to rely on God because affluence is all about me, getting more, what's next? And we combat that by serving and giving with our eyes, not on ourselves, not on our phones that reflects us, but on others and on God. And then we can see so much about what's going on in our present. It's amazing how the blinders fall off and we just see so many opportunities to help people. So how is this possible? Not next, now. And we haven't talked a lot about that eternity part that C.S. Lewis talks about. But that is everything. When we have our mind on eternal life with Jesus, that changes everything. That changes how I spend my money. I want to spend it so that people can know God. I want to spend my time not just ingrained in football. And trust me, I am... I grew up all sports and I still love watching sports. But it was everything. It was all that I would live for. I'd go home when ESPN2 came out. Does anybody remember this? It was amazing. They had hockey on at night. You didn't have to wait for it. It was so good. And I would watch sports and live sports and look at the stats and live for all these things. I was living for that. And I wasn't living for eternity. And so all these these things, we can act now. We can serve in the kids' ministry area right now. We can develop new habits to 
engage with people that are right in front of us right now. We can do that. Those are good habits to form. But ultimately, it'll fall short without the view of eternity and without Jesus guiding us. The power of God is how this is possible. And John 14 sums it up so beautifully. Jesus was imploring his disciples to keep with him and to stay the course. The very next chapter is is about the vine and the branches. And 11 times Jesus says, remain in me. Don't fall away. This is gonna get hard. There's gonna be persecution. I'm gonna die, but stay with me. He's imploring them. And right before he tells us how, John 14, verse 23 is how it begins. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and he will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. Verse 25, all this I have spoken while still with you. I've spoken it when I've been in your midst. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. We have a Holy Spirit if we follow Jesus, been plunged into the waters of baptism like Scott and Kyle were earlier. And he's gonna guide us. He's gonna make those opportunities so apparent. He's gonna show us the family in need. I have a friend this week that texted one hour after we got a call in from, from somebody just saying, hey, do you provide turkeys for Thanksgiving? And we said, no, we don't, we don't do that. That's, I wish we did, but we don't. You know, we, we do the coat drive, we do other things. We don't have turkeys. And an hour later, my friend texted me and he said, hey, I got a turkey. You know anyone that needs one? And I said, hold on a second. God's doing something in the present right here that could impact eternity. Let's connect you two. And we did. And, and he said, the turkey drop off went great. And then this family had turkey for Thanksgiving. Those simple things God will bring into your pathway if you are simply listening to the Holy Spirit. And look at the promise in verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. God comes to give you peace. And so today, maybe you don't have peace. Maybe you've never followed Jesus and said, all right, here's my life. You can do that today. We would love to talk with you. Our Connect team will be down front. We would love for you to have the peace of Jesus in your life. So that it's not what's next, it's what's now. God, show me this next step. Is it here? Okay, I'll take this step. You're following, I'm following you. I see you there. You're leading me. Okay, we're going this way. I'll follow you and I trust you. And I'm gonna give, I've never given before God, but I'll start with 10 bucks a month at Kingsway and I'll see what you're gonna do with that. I've never served with kids before. I don't even like kids, but God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try because that's how I feel you're moving right now in my life. What is God doing right now? Let's pray. God, I love your words so much. I love how we can read three verses. And I personally can be just struck to the core of my heart, knowing that there are things I can do that I haven't done. And it's not about me doing them. It's about you leading me. It's about this beautiful adventure you have us on, God. It's so perfect. And it's hard. And it takes faith. And God, I love comfort. I love a warm car in a garage. But man, we can learn something by scraping some ice. 
we can learn something by an outhouse. And so God, for each of us here today, would you show us where you're leading us? Would you help us take that next step? Would you guide us on your path of everlasting? Because not only are you the author of each of our lives, you created us, you made us each uniquely gifted and each your son and daughter, but you're the perfecter of our faith. And so you don't just create us and leave us out there to dry, you perfect our faith and you grow us and you guide us. And so God, help us to take that step you are asking us to take in Jesus' name. Amen. It's time for communion. And this is a beautiful way to go into communion because after that passage I mentioned, it goes into John 15 where Jesus says over and over again, remain in me. I'm the vine. You are the branches. All that fruit, all that giving and serving, all that action is fruitless if you are not in me. And so for thousands of years, the church has been remembering that we are in him. We take the bread, we take the juice, the body and the blood of Jesus, and we thank him for all he's done.